So we'll continue in an Orthodox catechism. We'll, um, we're going to finish 89 and 90 this morning. Questions 89 and 90 on the Lord's Supper. Um, we talked about uh, the goodness of the Lord's Supper, the fencing of the Lord's Supper. And today we'll continue. And then we talked about the keys of the kingdom last week in relationship to the Lord's Supper and the fencing of the table, um, admittance to the table. And then this week we'll continue that conversation and close out this section in 89 and 90. Um, we're going to take a break after uh, to today, um, a couple, couple weeks from Sunday school class, just as we're in a busier um, season um, for Christmas and New Year. And then we'll pick back up in the new year. And we're going to um, work through, we're going to take a break from an, an Orthodox catechism, do a, a semester on another uh, topic as uh, it'll be in the area of either um, uh, parenting or marriage or relationships or how to counsel one another, something, something in that. But we're still working that, working that out. But just to give you a heads up, so we're going to close out with these two questions this morning then take a break from an Orthodox catechism and uh, explore some other, some other topics. So we don't have Sunday school at all next week? Correct. Okay. Just Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> 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 yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so yes, thank you for, for clarifying. Um, yes. Yes. We'll let, we'll let everyone know. <clears throat> and if you show up, then... I guess you show up. <laughs> um, so question 88 of an Orthodox catechism, uh, looking at just sort of a quick review from last week, uh, begins to talk about the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, now, the catechism gets this phrase, the keys of the kingdom, from Matthew 16, 19, where Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the keys represent authority and really the authority of Christ as the Son of God. Um, but these keys were also um, given to the apostles by Christ to carry out Christ's authority, his authoritative power on the earth. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then he sends out his apostles with that authority to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing. Um, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Christ has also given authority to the church. Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. Now, we saw last week that when the local church is uh, formally gathered together, uh, it, it can exercise authority and it should exercise authority according to Christ's commands. Um, and when they do that, according to Christ's commands, following scripture, uh, Christ is with them in the exercise of that authority. In other words, he gives his approval to them. Now, we looked at that in the area of um, Matthew 16, Matthew 18, um, when a brother is put out of the church. We looked at first and second Corinthians, which we'll look at again today. Um, but we see in those uh, the church uh, agreeing together that someone should be put out and treated as a Gentile and a tax collector. If they are doing it according to Christ's commands and the wisdom of Christ, then Christ is with them in that exercise. Um, so, 
specifically thinking about the keys of the kingdom. What are keys for? What do they do? <laughs> to open, yep. <laughs> to lock, to unlock doors, to open, to close. Uh, in this case, they lock and unlock the doors of the kingdom of heaven. Now, how we understand what locking and unlocking means is taught to us by how the scriptures say that one enters the kingdom of heaven in the first place. In order to enter the kingdom, one must be born again. In John 3, 3, Jesus says, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. So new birth is necessary in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, new birth happens by the power of God, the power of the spirit, apart from anything in the center. Right. God gives them the gift of faith and repentance. And by the grace of God, he gives them a new heart. He regenerates them. You've heard that that language. He makes them anew. He recreates them. Um, Romans 10, 9 to 10. Is, is that on your handout? Romans 10. I have somebody read that for us. Maybe it's not. Romans 10, 9 to 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Paul goes on to say in Romans 10, 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? All right, so the common an ordinary way that God draws sinners to himself is through the preaching of the word of God. Question, six, question 89 of the catechism uh, connects the preaching of the word and the unlocking and locking of the kingdom doors. Now, to those who receive the word, the kingdom is unlocked and the evidence is the faith that they have in the message of Christ. To those who reject the word, the kingdom is closed. They are shut out. The evidence is the lack of faith that they have in the message of Christ. That's, that's what uh, question 89 is, is getting at. That's what we'll talk through. So question 89, let me have someone read the question and the answer. Who wants to do that for us? Got a mic? Go for it. Okay, thank you. And we see this, um, this language of infidels and, and hypocrites, and uh, we probably don't use the language of infidels often, or you know, we use, use hypocrites more, more often, but it's referring to those who um, claim to know Christ, but by their deeds deny him, um, by their lack of faith deny him, um, and those who are uh, clearly uh, opposing the gospel and the message of Christ. Okay, John five twenty four. Let me have someone read John five twenty four for us. So again, question eighty nine, making this distinction, uh, those 
to whom the kingdom is open, those to whom, whom the kingdom is shut. Um, and we're going to see how scripture sort of draws out how we should understand what that looks like. John 5, 24. Let me have someone read that for us. Okay, yes. So whoever hears the word and believes has eternal life. Um, he does not come into judgment, but this it the scripture uses this language that's really interesting. He has passed from death to life. So the hearing of the word of God, the belief of the word of God, faith, uh, essential for salvation, uh, necessary. Uh, hearing, hearing the word, believing in faith, they have passed. Um, and then John 5 says that a judgment essentially has been made. The judgment there is uh, has to do with the belief and faith of Christ, whoever hears the words and believes. If someone hears the gospel and believes, again, they have passed from death to life. The judgment here is that they are saved from their sin. I'm using judgment, but it's a declaration that they are saved from their sin. The gospel is open to them, and the evidence that it is open to them is that they believe the gospel by faith. Okay? On the other side, there are those who do not believe on the name of Jesus. They have judged themselves already, Scripture says. In Acts 13, 46, um, it says, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Now, what did Paul speak to them that they judged themselves unworthy of? What did he say? In Acts 13, 38, Paul says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which they could not be freed by the law of Moses. He proclaims to them the good news, the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God, and God has done in Christ what the law could not do. If they reject that, they show that the kingdom has been closed to them. It's shown by their lack of faith. And Paul and Barnabas again proclaim the gospel. The judgment of condemnation is evidence of their lack of belief, which will only lead to eternal death. The kingdom is closed to that person. Um, John 12, 48. Um, let me have someone go to John 12, 48. Just put your hand up if you want it. John 12, 48. Okay. And then... John 3.18, George, and then um, Crystal, you want to take Job 20.21 to 23. Okay? All right, we'll start over here, Steve. Jesus, of course, saying this. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words as a judge, the words that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Okay, so what's judging him on the last day? What do we see there? The word of God taught. The word, the yeah. Accountable for Right, so the word of God is the one judging him. He has rejected and does not receive the words. He has been judged. Um, so it's not, 
um, our, our personality, our, our own sort of words. We, we can't judge anyone ourselves because, I don't know, maybe we don't like them or we don't like how they responded to us. It's the word of God that judges. Um, when scripture calls us ambassadors, an ambassador goes on behalf of someone else, right? They can't go, an, an ambassador can't go to a foreign country, change the message of the one who sent them and expect to be okay. It's, it's treason. He has violated the authority of the king or the one who sent them. So we go with the gospel and the gospel is the thing that actually judges people. They judge themselves, as Paul, as scripture says, unworthy of eternal life by their rejection of it. Um, John 3, 18. Let me have someone read that for us. Or who had that? George, go for it. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Okay, again, they are condemned because they have not believed in the name of the only Son. Um, and then uh, Job, uh, Job 20, 21 to 23. Therefore, his prosperity will not endure. In the fullness of his sufficiency, he will be in distress. The hand of everyone in misery will come against him. To fill his belly to the full, God will send his burning anger against him and raid it upon him into his body. Okay. So here in Job, uh, one of the friends who gives counsel, um, Zophar, he's explaining the wrath and the judgment of God. Now, he, I think, misapplies it to Job here and doesn't explain the mercy of God, but his explanation of the fury of God is, is right. Um, he's just laying out that there is a real condemnation for those who reject the gospel, who reject the message of Christ. Um, Matthew 16, 13 through 19. Let me have someone read that for us. Go for it, Crystal. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay. So again, we see this explanation, a clear explanation here of, um, I think, the, the keys of the kingdom. And as we see this confession that Peter makes about Christ. Uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you. Flesh and blood has not revealed this. Um, I will, on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail. Um, we talked about this last week that um, Roman Catholic sort of uh, theology will uh, build an understanding of the authority of uh, the Roman Catholic sort of church on Peter and see an apostolic succession there um, coming all the way down to the Pope. Um, but it is not um, Peter, um, the man upon whom the church is built. It's the confession um, that Peter makes that the church is built upon. Now, again, we see in Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on the teaching of the prophets and apostles. So yes, in some sense, as, as an apostle, 
Um, it is built on the teaching, uh, Peter, along with the other apostles and the prophets, essentially the revelation of God and the scriptures concerning the Son. That's what the church is built upon. Um, but it is not, but, but the point here, the aim here, um, the, the, the strength of what Christ says here is not the man Peter, but the confession of the Son of God. Um, that's what gives the church its authority. Um, okay, so we're going to transition from 89 to question 90. Can I just talk something well said, by the way. Um, there's a passage in Isaiah, from remember correctly, uh, the, the chief cornerstone. Yes. Uh, the, the, the church mm. built on. And the rock, there, there's two different Greek words. There. One's a pebble, one's a stone. Mm. Jesus is the rock. Yeah. Uh, and um, that doesn't get explained, or it doesn't come out in translation. But, but that is, that, it gets blurry for us. But mm. yeah, well said. That's, yeah, that's, that's fun, helpful. Fun Thank study. you. Yeah, that's helpful. Yep. All right, well, let's transition to question 90. We're going to spend most of our time here um, looking specifically at this language of keys of the kingdom related to the church. Let me have someone read the question and answer to question 90. Nice and loud and clear for us. Go for it. Those who profess to be Christians, but who in their doctrine and life show themselves aliens from Christ, and after being admonished, will not depart from their error, heresies, or wickedness, are made known to the church. If they do not obey the, Lord, uh, the church's admonition, they are by the same church to be kept from the sacrament and shut out of the congregation by authority received from Christ and by God himself shut out of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, thank you. Now, this question in the confession references three classic texts on church discipline. The first text is 1 Corinthians 5, 4, which says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about this text and a, a little more in context to see what's actually happening there. Um, the second text is Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Let me have someone read that for us. I'll read it. Okay. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have to be your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two brothers, one or two others along with you. Okay. So we see instruction here for how to treat um, sin in the church, what to do when there's unrepentant sin in the church. We all sin in different ways. But how, how to treat unrepentant sin when something has um, is, is clearly a violation of God's uh, holy law, when it's an offense against a brother, an offense against God. How do we deal with that? So to tell it to the church means the issue should be made known publicly. When he says sort of in this process, uh, go to the brother, go back with one or two and then tell it to the church. At that stage, it's made known publicly. Um, at this stage, it doesn't mean tell it to the person privately. We've already done that. 
It doesn't mean tell, to, tell it to the elders only. That could be a part of the one or two or in this process that that should happen at some point. Um, but it means that the issue of the unrepentant brother should be made public. Now, different churches have different processes as they try to be obedient to this, to this command. Um, but um, we see from Matthew 18, at some point, it's, it's told to the church. It's told that the church is aware of what's happening with this unrepentant brother. Um, now, we also, see, we also see in Matthew 18, I think um, sometimes um, we can see Matthew 18, and I've even at times seen Matthew 18 in this way, that you're just, you're, you're trying to, you're, you're, you're going through the process, stage one, stage two, stage three. Um, and we can see it as, as, as if there's no other conversations, there's no other uh, mediation, that there's nothing else happening within this process. I go to him, they don't listen, okay, next step, get, get the other two, and then next step. But I want to I see from scripture that there's, there's actually more in this, this, this process, not adding to what those stages of Matthew 18, but I want us to see that there is a bit of patience through this process even. Um, and you see this, I think an example of this is in 2 Thessalonians and in 1 and 2 Corinthians, which we'll talk about. Um, yeah, so um, 2 Thessalonians 3, 15 through 14. Um, it says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And so it's interesting in 2 Thessalonians 3, he says, do not regard um, this brother as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And in Matthew 18, we see, um, okay, he says, well, put this brother, put, put, put him out of the church. He's acting like an unbeliever. Treat him as an unbeliever. Put him, put him out of the church. But I think that I think St. Corinthians is showing us that other things are happening prior to that point of just put them out of the church. I think we see in here um, patience in this process. So he's saying to uh, Paul, Paul's given some instruction here to this church at, at, at Thessalonica to treat this person in a certain way. Um, take note of that person, have nothing to do with them that he may be ashamed yet. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Um, it, it's just interesting to see that it uses some of the same language of uh, Matthew 18, but in one place he says Gentile, the other place he says a brother. Um, I think this process is happening, I think it must be happening, prior to put them out of the church because he's saying treat them as a brother. So I, I want us to see that there's, there's, there are things happening in between those sort of stages of, of Matthew 18. The issue with this brother um, is not at the place of Matthew 18 where he says, treat him as a Gentile, because he says, warn him as a brother. Um, again, I think this verse shows that there is patience in dealing with sin in the church, because again, um, discipline and excommunication, uh, what's, what's the goal of it? Right. Why? Why? Do you, why? Why is someone disciplined? Why does uh, Matthew say? Uh, why does Christ say to put them out of the church? What's the goal? The, the ultimate goal is to bring them to repentance. If right. Here. Right. Exactly. The ultimate goal is restoration. 
reconciliation. Uh, the goal isn't to glory in them being cast out of the church and say, you know, he, he, look, look what happened. But it's actually to, to bring them back. And through that process, there should be a fear of God and even a fear of being turned over to Satan, which, which we see in Scripture. But it's that they would repent. Absolutely, yeah. Right. If someone is right? Mm-hmm. And they won't stop doing this sin, you don't want to contaminate the rest of the church, or as Paul says, a little leaven doesn't belong. Yeah, yep. No, that's a good point. So, uh, church discipline is also to preserve the holiness and the purity of the church, right? Yep. And again, as we saw before, Matthew 16. Uh, Christ is with the church as they follow his commands in, in, in exercising biblical church discipline. Now, I know that the church, the universal church, different local churches, you'll see abuses. Uh, abuses are out there. There are those who will take the scripture, twist it for their own purposes, and end, end up just uh, really harming, uh, harming folks. But we're, we're talking about the proper use of church discipline as Christ has given it to the church. Um, okay, uh, Matthew, I looked at Matthew 18, the uh, Confession of Faith, so the London Baptist Confession of Faith in chapter 26, it deals with the church, and this is what it says in paragraph 12. Actually, let me have someone read that for us, paragraph 12. It should be in your notes, I think. Yes. Okay. The most important, I would say, the most important part of this paragraph is concerning discipline is according to the rule of Christ, um, because, like I mentioned, this can be can be abused. Uh, but I love that the confession, looking at Scripture, draws out this point and talks about um, believers being given to local churches and subject to the authority. Um, of in the governing of those of those local churches. Um, now, here is what I believe is an example of what we see in the confession, um, chapter twenty-six, paragraph twelve, First Corinthians five three through five. Now we talked about this a uh, bit last week, but I'm going to um, cover it again. First Corinthians five three through five. It says, "For though absent in my body, I am present in spirit." And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who has done such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Um, the context here is that uh, a man has his father's wife, so his, his mother-in-law, um, and he he um, and Paul is saying, you 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 you're, you're boasting about who you are and what you're doing, and this sin is happening in your midst. He says, and you're you're arrogant. Uh, put this person out of of the church. That's the context of what's what's happening here. And again, we talked about that more last week, but just to revisit it, sin is happening, and it's a blatant. It's it's in your face. It's apparent. A man has his father's wife publicly, openly. Paul is saying, you're being arrogant. Put this man out of the church. And that's the judgment here. Put him out. Now, 
2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, picks up um, through different you know, theologians and doing their study and, and hermeneutics here. It's clear that 2 Corinthians is speaking about the same matter as 1 Corinthians here with this, this man. So they put him out of the church. In 2 Corinthians 2, verses 6 to 11, it says, For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. I think the, the, the one here is the man in 1 Corinthians. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so that you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Um, in other words, he's, he's repented. It's, it's enough. Um, and then he goes on to say, so I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote to you the first time that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, so assuming that they've forgiven him, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So the design of Satan here is a lack of forgiveness. The assumption here is that they have forgiven him, because Paul says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. The man is the brother that they put out in 1 Corinthians 5. Here he says, bring him back. Bring him back into the church. Reaffirm your love for him. Now, that's um, an example of church discipline effectively. He's put out. They treat him as an unbeliever. Um, he repents at some point. He, he must have. Uh, they forgive him. Uh, forgiveness assumes that there's some repentance. And then they, Paul says, bring them back into the church. Um, now, we know that we are fallible people, fallible men. I'm an elder here. Ron's an elder, Kyle. We're, we're, we're fallible. We don't have um, infinite wisdom. Our perception at times is off. Our judgment is off. Um, often churches need the counsel of churches outside of themselves to try to discern, judge, determine what's the best course of action forward. Um, and we recognize that. And I appreciate, again, um, how practical the confession is in recognizing this. In chapter 15, in, or in paragraph 15 in chapter 26 of the confession on the church, paragraph 15 says, cases of difficulties or differences, doctrinal or administrative, may arise touching on the peace, unity, and edification of all churches in general or on an individual church. Other cases may occur when a member or members of a church are injured in or by disciplinary action that is not in keeping with the truth and order. So in other words, some folks may have been abused by different churches. In such cases, it is according to the mind of Christ for many churches having fellowship together to meet through their messengers to consider and give their advice concerning the issue and dispute and to report their advice to all the churches concerned. Nevertheless, these assembled messengers are not entrusted with any church authority, strictly speaking, neither do they have any jurisdiction over the churches themselves to exercise any discipline either over um, any churches or individuals or to impose their decision on the churches um, or officers. In other words, at times folks are abused by churches. In cases like that, uh, churches who have fellowship together ought to come together, put their minds together, think together, pray together about how to properly exercise authority. 
those outside churches coming in to help with that church matter, they don't have the authority to force that church to do a thing. Um, their authority has limitations. Uh, they are counselors. They are helpful. Um, and I think a wise judgment should listen to wise counsel. Uh, but the confession makes clear that um, there are limitations to that authority. I would, would agree with that. Um, as they exercise discipline over the, as that church exercised discipline over the churches, other churches who come. So if we were having a matter here and there were other churches and there, there, was, there was abuse and we decided, well, I think some other churches need to be involved. As those other churches come to help us to a good and godly, God-glorifying end, we are working together in council, and this happens in very practical ways where we meet and we think and we talk and we pray and we discuss and we, uh, on the evidence of two or three witness, examine and, and all that stuff. Um, those churches that come to council, they don't have the authority, and this is, was important for um, Reformed Baptist churches, particular Baptist churches, um, or separatist churches as they separated themselves from the Church of England to say that, well, Christ has given each church all that they need in order to function properly as churches. But we also have limitations and having other counsel outside of ourselves is wise, right? And so as, as, we, as we, we do that, we gather together and talk through that, those outside churches can't come in and say, I think, or say, you must do this. This is the course of action that you must do. Now what they say can be right, and if it's good counsel, I think the church should listen, but they don't have the authority to override the authority of that local church. Um, they can't step in and say, this must be done, and if this isn't done, then we're shutting this church down, but each individual church has that authority. Assuming that the elders, the deacons, the church wants to please God yes. and heed godly counsel, yes. that's the ideal situation. Brett? I think it's worth pointing out to like, how the church can abuse its members hmm. is by ignoring the order of Matthew 18 hmm. and also by uh, uh, doing church discipline on things that are not biblically sinful. Yeah. So the church fails its members a lot of times, and it's usually first in the first step in which the abuse hmm. occurs. Is yeah. The member doesn't go to the individual privately because hmm. the temptation, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but the temptation is go and tell someone else yeah. first yeah. and not go to the brother or sister first privately. Yeah. Or it's say it out loud, you know, and so the hurt usually occurs by missing that first step. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I've been, you know, under that in my hmm. case, you know, but um, so I think, I think that's where the church can abuse hmm. is, is failing to follow the order, it's failing to be committed to that order um, of uh, churches. Yeah, that's good. Yep. Changing gears, a very good point. Um, some of us know of some false churches, which our family has been through, okay. um, where they don't listen to the word of God. And at some point when there are outside sources that do speak to them the word of God, and they continue to prove to hate the word of God, but cryptically pretend to still follow God's word, at some point the, the body of Christ does need to recognize they are outside the fellowship. They're not listening to the word of God. And you sort of need to keep a sort of track record of it because they didn't repent of those. Yeah. So that's another thing it doesn't even mention here. So there are going to be some that don't listen to God's word, therefore they shouldn't be considered as trustworthy churches. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, and I've, we've probably seen those cases more than we, we care to see, but yep, that, that's a reality. Mm. Yeah. 
And you know, to your point, Brad, I think about uh, Proverbs where it says a, a whisperer separates close friends. I think in that is the, the idea is that they're not speaking to the one directly, but um, what they're doing is having, it's, it's, um, it's separating, it's, it's uh, causing a, a fraction in, in close relationships because um, they haven't gone to the person directly. Um, okay, so uh, where did I stop at here? Okay, so now going to the uh, second part of question or the answer to question 90, I'm going to close out with this. It says, the kingdom of heaven is open if such persons as above profess and declare an amendment of life, nothing to the contrary being able to be proved upon strict scrutiny and search. These are to be received again in love and tenderness as members of Christ and his church. In other words, they have um, repented um, of their, their sins. Uh, they haven't been, been prideful and, and hard in their hearts, but they've repented and they haven't continued in the same course of action as they were taking before they repented. Right. So there's a, there's actually a turning there. Um, these should be brought back into the church. Um, let's see. First uh, Corinthians five, four. Um, it says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus. Um, this is another um, picture of the authority that Christ gives through his apostles to the church and assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That that phrase name of the Lord Jesus Christ points back to Matthew 18, 17 to 18, where it says, again, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. The, 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 the strength of Christ's uh, affirmation with the decision of this church is seen in these texts as they align with Christ's uh, commands. Um, now, that, that two or three witnesses, that actually points back to Deuteronomy 17, 6. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The principle here is a system of accountability. Uh, God's law has never allowed for the conviction of another without a fair trial. Jesus cites the Old Testament law that said an accusation from a single individual is insufficient to bring action in a criminal case. However, two or three credible witnesses who agree are sufficient to establish the matter. Um, credible witnesses um, is not getting someone who's going to agree and then going to a person, but it's, it's you know, someone who has integrity, can be trusted, um, and they, they're brought into the process, assuming that their aim as well is reconciliation um, and not just to uh, put the person out for their own satisfaction. Um, okay, that's, that's what I have for us uh, on these two. Um, hopefully in these, in these questions, I think we can see a, a very helpful and practical process. One, that Christ has given to the church, and two, that the church um, ought to follow in wisdom and discernment um, even with the help of other churches when it's when it's necessary to try and work through matters um, and discuss things and hopefully come to a place of reconciliation and repentance for the uh, sinning brother. Um, it doesn't always go as smoothly and as easily as we would we would like. Again, we're fallen. Uh, it can be very, very ugly. Um, and we've all of us in different times have seen that. But ideally, this is this is the case. And you know what? When we get to heaven, we won't even have to worry about this process because everybody will be good. <laughs> everybody will be on the same page and we'll be joyful together. No sin, 
Nothing like that.